0: Hello, this is Derek Ray, and you're listening to Bavarian Podcast Works. Hello, and welcome to yet another episode of Bavarian Podcast Works. My name is Jake Fenner. I'm very glad to be coming to you in the middle of my finals week. Sorry for the delay, but because I am kind of swamped for the time being, we are not going to be pushing out a Dare Ausblick episode, but we're bringing this to you guys. And don't worry, we will talk about the upcoming game against Munchen Gladbach a little bit later. But uh, first, I am joined by my colleague and my brother in arms Tom Adams. Tom how are you doing today?
1: I am doing well had a good Thanksgiving. I hope you did as well and all of our followers out there and listeners if you do celebrate Thanksgiving I hope you uh, thoroughly enjoyed some uh, justifiable overeating and, and time with your families. Very empathetic to you and uh, going through all of your finals. Uh, I remember those days in college they're definitely not fun. Very stressful times uh, trying to let it cram a lot of uh, studying and, you know, schoolwork into a short period of time. Uh, But nonetheless, very happy to be be back on, talking Bayern and footy with you.
0: Now, today we're going to get into what should be a very, very packed episode. We will be taking a look at Germany's chances in the Euros, as well as all of the other groups that were just drawn over the weekend. And then we will... Be bringing back a segment that is a favorite of mine, Ask BPW, where we take a look at your questions that you submitted to us on Twitter. But first, it is time for After 90 Minutes, where we take a look at the game Bayern played last weekend—a 2-1 loss to Bayer Leverkusen. It is the very first loss under Hansi Flick. It ends a four-game clean sheet streak. Kept by Bayern Munich that stretched all the way back to Flick's first game against Borussia Dortmund. So, starting off, Leon Bailey scored early in the 10th minute to make it 1 0. Very early off in the game, ending the clean sheet streak, Thomas Muller came back in the 34th minute, the wonderful goal there, but one minute later, Leon Bailey scored on another breakaway yet again to make it two to one, and not even a Jonathan Tah red card could prevent what was a very frustrating day for Bayern Munich, who dominated possession 75-25, dominated shots 23 to 11, dominated shots on goal 11 to 7, and. Leverkusen kind of played a sloppy game of course with that red card. In addition to that, they had 3 yellow cards and they had 16 fouls, but Lucas Hradecky, the goalkeeper for Bayer Leverkusen coming in with 10 saves on the game, just a phenomenal day for him. Tom, what are your thoughts on each of the goals and what did you think overall of Bayern's performance despite the unsavory result?
1: Well, Definitely by no means was it the worst performance in the world uh, from Bayern Munich. I just think the one glaringly obvious statistic that sticks out uh, in my mind and probably a lot of people's minds from this game was just missed chances, ruining those missed chances. You know, as you mentioned, we we virtually outplayed Leverkusen in every category. I think it was officially uh, recorded as Bayern having nine shots on target, three of which uh, struck the woodwork. And one of those is obviously including Muller's goal. But, you know, especially in the second half, once um, Hansi Flick decided to make some substitutions uh, and bring both uh, Kingsley Coman, uh, Thiago, and also, excuse me, uh, uh, Coutinho on, I think the second half we played much better and and offered much more of an attacking threat. You know, I, I did write in my observations piece after this game, perhaps... You know, given the uh, the high line and the pace that Leverkusen offer going forward, you know, with uh, Kevin Volland, Leon Bailey, Musa Diaby and uh, Amiri, I thought those guys did a fantastic job implementing the the high press against Bayern and getting us into uncomfortable situations. You know, and being those outlet players, transitioning from defense to attack. That's that's kind of how. Leverkusen's first goal happened I felt bad for Davies because he had such a good start to the game you know he won quite a few foot races against uh, Musa Diaby on that right flank uh, for for Leverkusen and I thought Davies was going to go on to have a great game but for Leverkusen's first goal he kind of just gave away possession cheaply um, and then two passes later Leon Bailey was in Um, and basically demonstrated what would happen if you actually take the most of your chances, unlike Bayern in this game. You know, Leon Bailey has two shots, two goals, both expertly taken. You know, there's not much Manuel Neuer could have done for either of them. And meanwhile, you know, despite giving up the two goals, had Bayern made the most of their chances, you know, we very well could have come away from this either 5-2 or or 6-2 winners. You know, you could just say millimeters on any of the shots, you know, the three that hit the woodwork. Uh, and we could have been uh, four-two winners on the night, but it just wasn't going to happen for for Bayern that night. And you know we do have to add that Lucas Hradecky did have one of his best performances. I mean, there was nothing that was going to uh, get past him, and it just seemed like it was going to be one of those nights where even if we had the perfect volley, you know, traveling to the upper ninety, that Hradecky was going to get his palms to it uh, and deny us. It was just one of those nights, and it was utterly frustrating, I know, for all of us watching this, because the second half, you know, we just piled on the pressure, piled on the pressure, Um, and one of the things, you know, I, I know we've spoken in the past about Hansi Flick and maybe his lack of heavy rotations or, you know, only tweaking a few things and not really tweaking the back line at all, but... I remember highlighting Perisic in my my post-match write-up. You know, maybe the wrong time to to play him. You know, by no means do I want to take away from, you know, the experience he brings, the footballing IQ he brings, you know, and the tact and the gale that he brings, but by no means does he match the pace uh, of a guy like Kingsley Coman or perhaps Coutinho if he had started out on the left. And trying to counter the pace of, respectively, Leon Bailey and Musa Diaby on either flank uh, for Leverkusen. you know, having Perisic on one of those flanks is is kind of... uh, a wink link so to speak when you are just uh, thinking in terms of just pace you know because Leverkusen executed you know their high defensive presses and their high midfield lines a little bit better than we did and i know that uh we've extensively written about m- both Manuel Neuer and Thomas Muller talking about Hansi Flick's uh, tactical adjustments and th- the main two of which were you know those high presses when our opposition is trying to play out of the back and those tighter spaces in between the attacking line and the defensive unit and the midfield unit Um, And I thought Leverkusen just did a better job playing out of those high presses.
0: So one thing I mentioned last podcast that I was a little afraid of was the lack of a rotation in Hansi Flick's setup. So to kind of keep that in the forefront of our thinking for the next couple of minutes, right? Lewandowski obviously has been up top for every game, but the back four has been Davies, Alaba. Martinez Pavard from left to right the midfield for that Dortmund game was Kimmich Coman Müller Goretzka and Serge Gnabry and then of course Lewandowski up front the next game they played was Dusseldorf the only change was uh, Coutinho coming on for Coman Then against Red Star, he brought Coman back on to start, but changed up the midfield three. And then for this game against Leverkusen, uh, he swapped Perisic for Coutinho, who he played against Red Star. He brought on Müller for Thiago, who he played against Red Star. And Coman came back on uh, in that game. So there's little rotation going on. And I was a bit afraid that this back line, which has been hampered by injuries, could get tired and with the inexperience of some of the players in certain positions, i.e. Martinez at center back. Not that he's inexperienced, but it isn't his natural position. Alaba out of his natural position at center back. Davies out of his natural position at left back. They have not been changed at all. That back line has not been touched whatsoever. It's been the same way for every game that's been played under Hansi Flick. So, Tom, how do you think that Hansi would be able to uh, change that up, considering the amount of injuries that have piled up for this Bayern team? Or do you think that uh, no changes are going to come at all?
1: Well... Looking at that question, the kind of the first thing that comes to mind is the age-old debate on Yashua Kimmich. You know, should he consistently be playing as a central defensive midfielder, or should he slot back uh, to his more natural position? I guess you could quote-unquote say that now, even though he prefers uh, midfield himself, back to right back. Um, you know, I think once you can decide whether you want to transition him back into defense, then you can really kind of start to toy with that back line. Obviously, it's very unfortunate that, that we're still without uh, Luca Hernandez and Nicolas Sula uh, for the time being due to their respective injury problems. Uh, and yes, as you mentioned, both uh, David Alaba and arguably Alfonso Davies playing out of position. And part of me would like to see, you know, how well Davies would do with. Going forward and not having as much defensive responsibility because, as as quick as he is and as positive as he as he can be, you know he is one of the youngest guys obviously in that back line and is very very prone to making mistakes as he did in the first half uh, against Leverkusen, leading to Leon Bailey's first goal. So I think there definitely is room for rotation. I'm not sure if Hansi Flick was just too impressed with what he's seen in training and with what he saw in the first four results, sticking with that same back line, but you know i think well and truly the honeymoon period is really over for that especially with um, the result against leverkusen and i think that a lot of fans like us uh, will be perhaps baying for a change
0: looking at the table right now Munchen gladbach is ahead of leipzig by one point on top of the table once again One of the key narratives and key storylines, really, of this season is just how close the Bundesliga really is. The difference between first place and ninth place is only eight points. So, Bayern in fourth place, only four points behind, could make up some ground pretty easily this weekend. The last five matches in the Bundesliga for Borussia Mönchengladbach have not been the most convincing, to say the least. There was a 4-2 win against Freiburg that just recently happened, but their most recent game before that was a loss at Union Berlin, which I just thought was really weird, very unlike them to have. But then, before then, there was a 3-1 win against Werder Bremen, a 2-1 win over Leverkusen, and then a 4-2 win over Eintracht Frankfurt. But they haven't really played up well to tougher competition. They uh, play Roma in the Europa League, they draw... Their first fixture against them. They only win 2-1 in their next. They already are knocked out of the Pokal against Borussia Dortmund. They lost in the league in the hindranda 1-0 to Dortmund, as well as a loss a 3-1 to RB Leipzig earlier in the season. So, as much as they are on the top of the table right now, they don't have an easy matchup coming this weekend against Bayern. Uh, but, They do have a couple of bright spots up ahead after Bayern and a Europa League game. Their final three Bundesliga games of the season are against Wolfsburg, who are in ninth, and then dead last, Paderborn, and 16th place, Hertha Berlin. Meanwhile, Bayern Munich, after this game, play Werder Bremen, who are... 13th in the table, a lot worse than they were at the start of the season, S- then 6th place Freiburg, and then currently ninth place Wolfsburg. So, Tom, uh, how do you just very quickly, how do you think this game is going to go? What should we look forward to?
1: Well, looking ahead to this game, and obviously for a lot of reasons, is one of Bayern's biggest games of the seasons for what it's worth, you know, given that Glaubach are on the top of the table. But I kind of went back and I looked at those results. As you mentioned, you know, Glaubach do not have a great record against, you know, teams that are currently comprising the top six of the Uh, Bundesliga as you mentioned in week three they lost uh, 3-1 to Leipzig um, courtesy of a Timo Werner hat-trick shout out to you Chuck if you're still listening (laughs) that was one of Werner's best performances of the season Uh, and then as you mentioned the 1-0 loss at the Stadion to Borussia Dortmund uh, through a goal from Marco Reus and actually could have very easily have been 2-0 they had a a Torgen Hazard goal that was disallowed um, for a marginal marginal offside decision and then as you mentioned um, the 2 uh, 0 loss to Union Berlin, and they also, I believe, somewhere in there, drew Schalke nil-nil, uh, who weren't in the top six at the time, but obviously are now. So, so looking at this, you know, looking at the highlights from the three-one loss to Leipzig and the one-nil uh, loss to Borussia Dortmund, you know, one of the things I notice is that. Uh, a lot of the goals, so at least two of Timo Werner's goals uh, from Leipzig's 3-0 win at Borussia Park, kind of came almost as a result of Gladbach really trying to force that offside line. Um, and Marco Ruiz's uh, preferred center-back pairing of Nico Alvetti and Matthias Ginter, you know, one of them's 23, the other one's 25, relatively young uh, and very prone to making mistakes. And, and as I mentioned, you know, like especially with a guy like Timo Werner, who's so quick and not only quick, but so good at changing pace very quickly. You know, he kind of gave a blueprint to how to expose, you know, Gladbach trying to play that offside line. And Marco Royce's goal in the, in the BVB match was exactly the same thing. You know, he cleverly disguised his run, held it, it was found perfectly, slotted it just under Jan Sommer. So I think that's one thing that Bayern really need to uh, look at exposing uh, when they do come up against uh in Gladbach this weekend but at the same time I know we, we were we were talking earlier you know Bayern do have those bogey guys who just always play well against us uh Alisson Playa is one of them you know we all remember that 3-0 last year at the Allianz Arena and I I can just picture Marcus Turon being one of those players as well perhaps even Briel and Bolo you know they're threats that we have to worry about and you know as we were just discussing with the defensive line you know a lot of the potential rotations that Flick might make um could be really important in that respect and in thwarting those pacey guys coming forward at us.
0: So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to look ahead to the Euro tournament this summer. Welcome back. And now we are going to go ahead and take a look at something that was recently announced, not this upcoming weekend, but the weekend before the groups for the Euro 2020 tournament. Now, if you may recall, the tournament's being played at multiple different venues across Europe, as opposed to one country, then Germany will take over in 2024. But for now, we are set with these groups. And Tom, I wanna hear your reactions, just to uh, just the first thoughts off the top of your head to each one of these. So group A, we have Turkey, Italy, Wales, and Switzerland. It, it seems to me like a relatively tough group uh, just by the looks of it that Wales team should be interesting Switzerland's always been doing well at the last World Cups Turkey has been kind of hit or miss recently but the Euros seem to be their tournament and Italy of course are doing phenomenally what do you think
1: the first thing I think of when looking at this group is everyone will remember that uh, that amazing run that Wales had in Euro twenty sixteen, and will they be be able to match that and go as far as they did? Um, while they do have some difficult teams, you know they have every chance of progressing. Um, but if I'm a betting man and I'm going to try and pick who's going to go out of that group, my money would be on both uh, Italy and Switzerland, both of whom had fantastic qualifying. Uh, campaigns, getting out of uh, difficult groups. Um, But it's one of those things you never want to write anybody off. But, you know, when push comes to shove, I do think that Italy and Switzerland are the two uh, more powerful teams. You know, again, with the Welsh side, uh, a lot of it's going to depend on who's going to stay healthy, you know, who's going to be available, um, when that time does come for uh, the roster to be named. But nonetheless, you know, as a neutral, um, other than rooting for uh, Germany, I would uh, I would like to see them make it out of that group just as they had done so well in Euro 2016. But yeah, Group A is going to be very interesting. We're going to have some great matches right off the bat.
0: Moving on to Group B, we have Denmark, Finland, Belgium, and Russia. Russia, Belgium, and Denmark all made it to the knockout stages of the 2018 World Cup, and Finland qualified for their first ever major tournament off of great performances from players like Norwich City's Timu Puki, who's been having a up and down kind of start to his premier league season. He started off really hot, but then afterwards his goal production slumped down. Uh, To me, I think that Finland probably won't do as well in this tournament. I'm looking more at Belgium and Denmark with Russia possibly being one of those third place teams. Tom, what are you thinking?
1: Yeah. Pookie party in the beginning of the season in the Premier League, and then everyone goes to get him on the fantasy team. And he decides, you know what? I'm gonna take the Pookie party from Norwich City uh, to my country for Finland, so I can get our si- our uh, excuse me our proud nation of Finland to our first uh, international tournament. Uh, but that aside, you know, I- I'm not looking at any stats. This is just going off of sheer memory. I'm pretty sure Belgium had probably like the best qualifying campaign. Absolutely swept everyone aside. Uh, And their group, I have no doubts they're going to come out uh, winners of this group. Um, And I would love to see either uh, Russia or Finland uh, come out with them. Uh, The only reason I say that is because Denmark uh, progressed from the qualifying group um, partially at Ireland's uh, expense. Uh, In addition to Germany, I do like to root for England and Ireland just because uh, my heritage, that's pretty much where all (laughs) of my family is from, more so Ireland. So I do hope they're able to make it in via the playoff route, but Denmark for Ireland has always been one of those bogey teams. They were ne- never able to get a result uh, against them in the qualifying stages, uh, both for this, for um, Euro 2020, and for World Cup 2018 uh, in-, in the playoffs. They absolutely bashed us at the, uh, the Aviva Stadium in Dublin. Um, but nonetheless, yeah, it would be great to see Timu Puki on one of the world's biggest stages. I, I've loved watching uh, a lot of him for Norwich City this team. He's a real gritty, um, real old fashioned style center forward. I would love to see him bang in some goals. They definitely, Finland will have it up against them getting out of the group uh, against Belgium, Russia, and Denmark. But yeah, you know, mark my words, Belgium easily going to top this group. Uh, it's just a matter of who's going to finish in second place and uh, secure that progression.
0: Moving to Group C, a group that I think is probably the weakest out of everybody. It is the Netherlands, Ukraine, Austria, and then the winner of Playoff Group D, which is George, the winner of Georgia versus Belarus, and the winner of North Macedonia versus Kosovo. So there are a couple of groups with these really weird playoff uh, systems. Uh, it'll be there's a weird quirk which I'm going to get to later on that refers back to this group, but it's great news for Davin Alaba. He and Austria might actually have a very good opportunity of progressing on ukraine hasn't really been the most strong team ever and if one of these playoff uh these playoff pot d teams get in then i think austria has a very good chance of coming second in this group what do you uh what do you think of this one here tom
1: yeah just to echo what you said very very happy for david alaba and austria you know especially with the way the group has transpired I think they have a very, very solid chance uh, of progressing from this group in addition to the Netherlands. I think everyone's going to peg the Netherlands uh, as the powerhouse team. uh, Didn't get off to the greatest start in their qualifying campaign. They also uh, were a couple matches behind for most of the qualifying process because of their excursions uh, in the UEFA Nations League, having gone all the way to the final against Portugal uh, and losing to Portugal in the final. Um, But you can't uh, underestimate Ukraine. They had a fantastic qualifying campaign. I think it was... uh, um, correct me if I'm wrong. Once or twice beating Portugal, uh, w- which no one had expected, and Portugal were really up against it and had to grind out results toward the end of the qualifying campaign uh, to secure their qualification to the uh, the final tournament. So it, that will be an interesting group, and uh, a lot of it will be based on uh, you know very contrasting teams that could potentially get that last you know uh, playoff spot in that group. So it'll be interesting to see who who joins that group, but. But nonetheless, I'd be very happy to see Albania and Austria, um, you know, progress out of the group along with the Netherlands.
0: Next, we have Group D featuring England, Croatia, the Czech Republic, and the winner of playoff pot C, which is Norway versus Serbia and Scotland versus Israel. So we have a really interesting scenario where we could have Scotland go ahead and win this out and we get to see England, Scotland, in Group D in the Euro Finals, Tom, what are you, your personal thoughts on that matchup being an England fan?
1: Yeah, England and Scotland. Those fans do not quite like each other very much, and that would be absolutely an amazing thing for this group. They've produced, uh, I believe it was World Cup 2018. They had a qualifying match against one another at Hampton Park, and it was one of the the most exciting matches that I had seen in, in World Cup qualifying. And it's very interesting that in this group, England are playing, A, uh, the team that beat them in the semifinals in the 2018 World Cup in Croatia, uh, and B, the Czech Republic, one of the teams they had very, very... Uh, different results against in the qualifying campaign. One of which was a, I believe, it was a five-one or a five-two win uh, at Wembley, uh, and the other in Prague was actually a two-one loss um, against a very, very young and relatively inexperienced Czech Republic team. Uh, I know I heard uh, Gareth Southgate's reaction when I was listening to BBC Sport Five Lives Football Daily podcast, which is one of my go-to podcasts for Premier League uh, and Euro League. Uh, news as far as podcasts are concerned he was saying you know what we are facing those two teams one of which knocked us out in the semifinals of the 2018 world cup but i would prefer it that way um and we already have a lot of the you know the game notes that we had taken from our two matches against the czech republic uh, so it's something they're uh, they're well prepared for um and, and ready to you know get some revenge against croatia and make sure they don't make the same mistakes against the czech republic and that would be probably one of the biggest matches if scotland do get that playoff spot uh for group d and i know that not only fans of the premier league or or the scottish premier league or whatever league it is that you primarily support uh if it's england versus scotland you got to be tuning into that because there's going to be so much grit in that one uh styles aside so yeah hopefully um and it would it also you know from a slightly neutral perspective, it would be nice to finally see Scotland in a major international tournament again because it has been so long.
0: <laughs> the uh, second to last group is Group E, Spain, Sweden, Poland, and then playoff pot B, which is Bosnia, Northern Ireland, Slovakia, and the Republic of Ireland. So we were talking before about England-Scotland meeting in Group D. We could have... The ROI against Northern Ireland be the final deciding match to who goes to the Euro finals. And then from that point, it's kind of a tough group. Really unfortunate for uh, Robert Lewandowski's team who did not do well at all against relatively inferior competition in the 2018 World Cup. And now they come up against a very young, very good Spanish side and a Swedish team that made it to the quarterfinals of that World Cup. Uh, Tom, do you think that there's any way that Louis can be able to get out of there?
1: You feel so bad for him after you know, having such an amazing qualifying campaign and just breaking even more and more goal scaring records, uh, both domestically and for his country. But, you know, it's such a difficult group. And also, we have to remember our very own Marcus Iredal, BFW's resident Swede, could be listening. So we can't really say anything bad about Sweden now, can we? <laughs> so on paper, you want to say that Spain and Sweden are going to naturally be the progressions from that group. But. Yeah, as you mentioned, yeah, Poland again playing well below par at World Cup 2018. And even some of their opponents in uh, the qualifying process uh, for Euro 2020 were a, a lot what you would call lesser caliber teams. So it's a tough barometer to judge them on. Uh, so I just hope the order of the fixtures maybe goes in their favor. I'm not sure. Uh, if they'd be playing Sweden, Spain, or, or the the playoff winner first, but hopefully uh, it is that playoff winner first, so they can try and get some points uh, before playing the likes of both uh, Sweden and Spain. That's just very tough. It's It just seems like an uphill battle for Lewandowski, but you know, maybe that's what he needs. Maybe um, an uphill battle with uh, higher caliber teams will be a bit better than going against uh, uh, Japan, S- Senegal, and whoever else it was in the World Cup. I'm now immediately drawing a blank. But you catch my drift.
0: I believe it was Colombia with them in that group. Uh, But now we get to move on to the last group, Group F, which makes no sense in the world. It makes no damn sense to have Germany, the 2014 World Cup champion, France, the 2018 World Cup champion, and Portugal, the winner of the Nations League and the most recent Euro in the same pot together, in the same group together. It's just absolutely mind-boggling. It's going to make for some amazing football, but it makes it makes no no sense at all. Uh, There is this weird quirk in the system that does involve this group because the fourth team would be the winner of playoff A, which is Iceland versus Romania and Bulgaria versus Hungary. But that weird quirk is this. If Romania wins the playoff, if they can beat Iceland and then beat whoever wins Bulgaria-Hungary, they move up to group C which is the group with the Netherlands, Ukraine, and Austria, and that Group D team goes down to Group F. But this scenario only happens if Romania win. So that's just very weird to consider. But just going to this, right, you have the, as I mentioned, you have two World Cup winners, the two most recent World Cup winners, the most recent Euro winner, and then the best teams coming out of the playoff. I don't know who decided to rig this pot over at UEFA. I don't know if and Infantino had anything to do with this. Because this makes no sense in my mind. There is no way that these teams could not have been rigged to get drawn together. Like You don't have anything similar to this anywhere down the line right the it it just really it really makes no sense to have those three teams and i'll be honest with you if we're going off of germany's 2018 world cup performance i have no clue uh, whether or not they'll be able to advance granted the euros do allow like a very good third place team to get in but if the team we end up playing is iceland then tom i think germany might
1: be screwed on this one You're definitely right about uh, UEFA. I mean, yeah, UEFA never gets caught doing anything bad or accepting bribes or anything like that, right? Completely clean and honest organization. No, that that's not the case at all. UEFA is definitely conspiring for someone, you know, to progress. at least until the semifinals or to the finals because, yeah, the fact that you have Euro 2016 and Nations League winner, 2018 World Cup winner, and 2014 World Cup winner in the same group, uh, especially if you're trying to market UEFA and, you know, get the most, you know, viewers, that's not exactly what you're going to do, especially if people, if you want people tuning into the latter stages because at least uh, one or two of the powerhouse teams are going to be knocked out. Um, But, because we are a Bayern Munich and a Germany podcast and platform, what I will say, I guess, in positive light, is I'll go back to Group E and you know Lewandowski perhaps doing better with an uphill battle with both Sweden and Spain in the group. Perhaps this will be better for Germany as well. Uh, you know, I believe our 2018 World Cup group was uh, Mexico, Sweden, uh, and then uh, South Korea or the Republic of Korea in that order. And obviously, we all saw how that went, narrowly scraping by against Sweden. Uh, imploding against both uh, South Korea and uh, and Mexico, so maybe having France and Portugal and you know all one of the uh, several teams that you mentioned in Group F, maybe this will benefit us. Maybe we'll play up uh, to our potential. Maybe hopefully Nicolas Sula will be back healthy. We won't have so many freaking injury problems like we do right now. Uh, And maybe uh, Yogi Love will will turn things around and give us a strong showing and show the world why we were 2014 World Cup champions. And, you know, we can make a strong run at this.
0: So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. And when we come back, we will answer some of your audience questions and uh, questions. We will answer some of your audience questions in our segment, hashtag AskBPW. Welcome back. And now we get into my favorite segment of this show. We're bringing it back after a little bit of a hiatus. It is time... For hashtag AskBPW, the segment where we answer the audience's questions. And remember, you can always tweet your questions to us using the hashtag AskBPW. Today, I'm going to have Tom read them off to me, and I have not picked them. So I'm coming up and formulating the answers right off of the top of my head. So Tom, why don't you give me the first one?
1: And our first question comes from at Naivdia. I apologize if that I'm pronouncing that wrong. Or excuse me, at Naivdia2. Um, and he wrote, uh, what will it take for Robert Lewandowski to get the recognition he deserves? And I'm assuming he's referring to the recent uh, Ballon d'Or, which was awarded to uh, Lionel Messi, uh, where Lewandowski finished eighth in the running. And he also adds that he is slightly underappreciated among the football fans and for large parts completely overlooked. Uh... <laughs>
0: I mean, the short answer is a move to Barcelona or Real Madrid, which probably won't happen, and we probably won't like, but uh, here's my logic behind it, right? People may not really appreciate Robert Lewandowski, but little-known secret is we definitely do. The man is an absolute monster, and I don't think that anybody in the world doubts his ability. But a lot of the situation with France football picking the best player in the world with the Ballon d'Or, a lot of it has to do with not only just performance in terms of continental and in terms of club, but it also has to deal a lot with how teams perform uh internationally how how teams how players perform with their national teams right so you can go ahead and look at Lionel Messi yes he didn't really go far in the Champions League he did win La Liga Uh, his Argentina team did not do amazing at the uh, Copa del Rey but at the same time this has probably been one of Messi's most dominant years statistically Um, We take a look at Virgil van Dijk. Not only did he help Liverpool get to the Champions League final and win it, but he also had a pretty good campaign in the Nations League with the Dutch. Uh, Ronaldo came in third. He didn't really have a great season uh, he probably had his one of his lowest production seasons in a while in his first year at Juventus, but they did win Serie A. They had a pretty decent Champions League run, and of course, he led Portugal to the Nations League title. And then we look at Lewandowski. He won the Pokal and the Bundesliga. But at the same time, he was the best player on a very, very poor performing Polish side in the 2018 World Cup, but that's last year, not this year. And then Poland didn't really do much better in their European qualifications, despite their roster full of talent. So I think that Lewandowski definitely shouldn't have come in 10th. That, that, I will, that I will agree with. He should not have fallen that far down uh, the pecking order. But I will say this. If anybody takes a look at Robert Lewandowski's stats in uh, the Bundesliga, in the Champions League, in uh, the Deutsche Pokal, uh, and says that he's not one of the best, if not the best strikers in the world, they're completely wrong. I would say that you'd be compre- completely wrong if you said that he wasn't. The best striker in the world. So as long as we in Munich know that and we can keep that as our like little secret, then uh, we can appreciate him all he wants. We don't need the love and admiration of the world when Robert Lewandowski is scoring in eleven straight. Uh, Bundesliga games we don't need the world to appreciate him because we appreciate him enough as it is because he's doing the job that we all want and expect of him to do so I would probably take league titles over uh, popularity contests but uh, that's just me what about you Tom
1: but yes I I do agree with you on, on all accounts um, I know that uh, I am not sure if he's okay with me uh, naming him on the podcast, but our very own Philip Quinn, you know, in our Slack channel, when we were talking about the Ballon d'Or um, and and Lionel Messi winning it. He vo- he brought up a lot of very valid arguments, you know, about what exactly the award consists of, and it and it should be the best player, you know, not necessarily. Numbers wise, statistic wise, how many goals they score, how many assists they provide, but the best player, the most impactful player, uh, for their team, and in that respect, you know, even as a Liverpool fan as well as a Bayern fan, it hurts me to say that Lionel Messi still probably the deserved uh, winner for this, despite Virgil van Dyke's amazing season and despite my opinions that you know someone else other than an uh, attacking player needs to win it. You know, Fabio Cannavaro was the last defender to win um, the Ballon d'Or back in two thousand six. Uh, when he was with Italy, and I believe uh, Juventus at the time. And just taking a couple steps back from this as well, uh, when you brought up the point of a popularity contest, I think the conversation eventually will change when Uh, Bundesliga teams start to have more success uh, consistently in the Champions League I just think that's one of the biggest stages where you know people kind of look at the success of the best players on the best teams and and for you know too long in recent seasons German teams have not been faring all that well um, in, in the Champions League and you know but as a byproduct of that you know Lewandowski Uh, in the runnings for this award, might have been overlooked to, you know, a handful of players, and obviously there were a handful of players that were uh, rated much higher than him, Um, and hopefully that conversation changes if if Bayern, um, I know Bayern Leverkusen, Dortmund, and um, why am I drawing? oh yes, sorry, Leipzig, um, all have either already progressed to the knockout stages in this Champions League, or still have a fighting chance, so hopefully all four of them do, and You know, help put German football back on the map. And then maybe in, you know, four or five years' time, we we start to see this uh, award start to change, especially as both uh, Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel uh, Messi start to uh, phase out. All right. So moving on to the second question that I had picked. This one comes from at Indian Bavarian. Relatively loaded question, but they ask, What do you think of our tactics under Hansi Flick? Uh, the organized press seems to be the way to go, but do you think that Bayern's Achilles' heel is the pace of our defense?
0: Um, I don't know if it would necessarily be the pace of our defense because if you look at that back line and you say that Alfonso Davies and David Alaba and Benjamin Pavard aren't pacey, then... Uh I don't know how much pacier you could possibly get. I know we can't get Trent Alexander-Arnold or Andy Robertson or anybody like that, but to me, that's a pretty pacey back line as it already is. Uh, In terms of tactics, I've been kind of impressed so far, but then again, it's too early to tell. The one thing I have noticed, and the thing that I'm probably the most proud about and happy about, is that it seems that the players have finally decided to slowly and carefully work their way away from the possession-based football that Jupp and Pep Guardiola brought in and forced them to play. It seems that after Ancelotti left and uh, Nico Kovac left that we finally have a manager that is able to break that cycle. And to me... It makes me happy to be a Bayern Munich fan. Like, this really makes me happy. Once, once the exciting football started to get played, I was super happy, right? Like, last weekend's result aside, it was just an absolute fluke. They played really well. 23 shots uh, is a lot, Pressing and attacking football is now going to be the name of Bayern Munich's game at least as long as Hansi Flick is in charge. And to me, that's exciting. That's something that I look forward to. That's something that it maybe might not translate the best to in terms of like Germany, but it could translate well in Europe. And right now I would love a Champions League trophy. (laughs) So I think it's I think it's a good thing.
1: Yeah, uh, the two specific things I think that Hansi Flick has brought and has instilled, uh, as both Thomas Muller and Manuel Neuer have talked about extensively in interviews uh, since Hansi Flick has stepped in as interim manager, you know, those making sure that those spaces in between uh, the midfield and defense and the, you know, defense and the attacking and the midfield and the attacking lines are are a lot tighter at all times, especially when Bayern are transitioning from attack to defense. A lot of times when they would give the ball away uh, in the opposition's half and and counterattacks would be sprung. It would be those giant spaces in between the defense and the attack that uh, the teams would be able to exploit and and cause us problems. So shoring up those spaces and tightening up those spaces has definitely uh, made a huge impact, you know, especially with the amount of clean sheets we've been able to keep under a Hansi flick and uh, Leverkusen were finally that one bogey team uh, to break that. And, and even Going off of that, as you mentioned, the high press as well. I think um, for large portions of every given match that we've played since Hansi Flick has taken charge, the high press has been on full display. And unfortunately for us in that Leverkusen game, we got caught getting high press. Alfonso Davies giving the ball away uh, cheaply, but that's just a matter of cutting out the mistakes and not making mistakes uh, at the back. And you know, because they're gonna, you know, good good opposition is gonna make us pay for that, just as Leon Bailey and Leverkusen did. Um, but as far as the defense being the Achilles' heel, I think you know four clean sheets in a row has shown that even if Javi Martinez might not be the quickest guy uh, compared to Benjamin Pavar, David Alaba, and Alfonso Davies, that it can still work um, for what it's worth. And you know, as Jake had said, you know, just perhaps a little bit of a fluke and a blip, uh, giving up two goals to Leverkusen and and not coming away winners. I mean, we really should have probably had four or five goals in that match. And going into the very last question, I kind of combined uh, two questions just because two people had asked about it. Um, and so how all started is uh, from at Leo Prince. And he kind of had two questions, but his first one was, what are your thoughts on Flick not seeing Tiago Alcantara as a starter? And at Jam Jake Gonzalez had also said the same thing. Tiago situation, uh, what do you think? And he said he was... Um, relatively angry that Tiago hasn't played much remember this is a guy who almost always played under previous manager Niko Kovac
0: yeah I'm I'm kind of shocked that Tiago has not been playing Uh, I I like him I like his style of play I feel that he's probably one of the more important players on the field and weirdly enough, with Nico Kovac, we saw an issue between um, between Tomas Muller as well as Philippe Coutinho. But now we see a new situation uh, between Thiago and I'm going to go ahead and say probably... Joshua Kimmich, just because he plays that holding midfielder role, occasionally pushing the ball up the field, uh, trying to distribute it. So I think that's where the new competition lies now. And the real question is just going to be, how much longer is the Bayern board and the manager going to put up with Joshua Kimmich wanting to play in central midfield? Because to me... He's the best right back in the world. It would probably be him and Alexander Arnold, really, uh, as the two best right backs in the world. So I don't know why he feels the need to go ahead and want to play in the midfield. Not saying that he's bad in the midfield, but just in my mind, he's better at right back. And by him moving to the midfield and playing in midfield more it's iced out, uh, Tiago. It's not terribly great that he iced out Tiago. He's probably one of the best ball distributors that Bayern Munich has. And it's really sad and disappointing to see him not there anymore. But, uh, yeah, for now, I hope that, uh, I hope that he can come back and that he can prove himself to Flick. You'll always have this situation with any new manager, really, though. That's one thing that we uh, we forgot to mention, right? Every player under a new manager kind of needs to prove themselves. Uh, and with Hansi, he had been around for a while, so he knows what Thiago can do. So I don't think it's a situation of Thiago needing to prove that he's capable. I just think Thiago needs to prove that he can fit into the system good enough to bump out uh, Kimmich. And so far he hasn't done that because Kimmich has put in a couple of really good performances in that midfield role. So my hope is that eventually Kimmich will switch back over to right back and we can get more of Tiago in the midfield. But for now, uh, if it ain't really broke, don't fix it. And I know the last game was a loss, but I don't know, two fluke goals, uh, don't seem like a uh, time to press the panic button. So um maybe we might see something new this weekend with Munchen Gladbach, but uh that'll be for that'll be for then.
1: Yeah, there's a reason why I saved this question for last because I I think, you know, it is a simple question, but it, it, there's so much substance to it. Uh, because I think Thiago is one of the best midfielders and one of the best footballers in the world. I um, mean, it's interesting, especially looking at our last four or five squad sheets, you know, the types of players that are keeping him on the bench. And and I can kind of go back to, I remember uh, a lot of people in our community at BFW, you know, both on Twitter, some of the comment sections of our of our pieces, there was a lot of, you know, conversation between, you know, Thiago is one of these guys for Nico Kovac that Kovac is just going to play regardless of how Thiago is playing. You know, he, he could have a string of poor performances, uh, but Kovac would refuse to bench him and he would just keep playing in him almost in the same vein that uh, national team managers, how some of them pick players based off of prestige uh, as opposed to the current form that they're in in the run-up to a a squad selection for a national roster. So it's interesting to look at it that way. And I kind of go back to the game against Tottenham where Thiago started from the bench um, and then came on and made an almost immediate impact, you know, inspiring Bayern to that 7-2 famous win over over Tottenham uh, in North London in the Champions League. And part of it too, as you mentioned, is it just has to do with the lineup and the and the tactics. You know, in a four three three, you know, Hansi Flick has uh, experimented with different players playing alongside or just ahead of Kimmich uh, as the central defensive midfielder. Both are uh, Leon Goretzka, uh, Clorenton Taliso, Thomas Muller. He's tried there, and then. Uh, Combination of Gnabry, Lewandowski, Coman, Perisic, Coutinho uh, just ahead of him. And perhaps maybe if uh, Flick decides to use a 4 2 three, one, um, both Kimmich and uh, Tiago could perhaps coexist uh, as the two with uh, perhaps Muller, Gnabry, uh, Coman, and Lewandowski ahead of them, or a different combination, you know, maybe Coutinho. Uh, Gnabry, Coman, Lewandowski, or whatever it is uh, ahead of them as as the 3-1, but, you know, perhaps there's an opportunity there for Thiago to to uh, exist in the midfield uh, as a relatively deeper-lying, slightly-holding midfielder that, you know, especially with Kimmich in there, could give him the license to roam forward, but on the surface, you know, for what it's worth, the... the Looking at the overall squad balance, to me it is also a little concerning that Thiago uh, is being left on the bench ahead of some of the players that are playing instead. Uh, so hopefully that does change. Uh, but yeah, that's my thoughts on that. I would like to see him uh, playing a lot more, but it is very difficult, and this is why managers are paid the big bucks, because they have to make those decisions, and you know it winds up leaving world-class players on the bench sometimes.
0: Well, that's going to be able to uh, wrap up not only this segment, but the show. And like I mentioned at the beginning, you can always submit your questions to us on Twitter using the hashtag AskBPW. And you can find us on Twitter at Bavarian FB Works, you can find me on Twitter at Jefferson Fenner. You can find Tom on Twitter at Tommy Adams 71, and be sure to check out the latest and greatest in Bayern and German soccer content at bavarianfootballworks.com. So, like I say always, thank you very much for listening. Please be sure to like, rate, subscribe and download us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your high-quality audio content. So, until next week, sometime, hopefully, when my finals are done, we will see you guys later. Auf Wiedersehen.